have your attention. We'll go ahead and get started. There is a there's a handout coming, so um, if uh, get a chance, grab a handout just so you can take notes. There's pens also being passed out if you need them. But we'll go ahead and pray and get started with. Uh, I want to say it's part four of Crazy Love. It's story number three, but part four of our series. So we'll pray and just ask God to meet us here this morning. Lord Jesus, we do. I just want to look to you again here this morning. Uh, Thank you for just the time to seek you in prayer earlier and uh, to worship you. And God, I just pray that as we open up the pages here from from Genesis, that you would uh, speak to each one of our lives, Lord. Teach us things that we do not know, maybe things that we haven't been doing. God, I pray you'd encourage us um, with a greater understanding of you and your love for us. Um, God, we just commit this morning to you and just ask that you would do awesome things, teach each one of us, change each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right. So, boy, it's been a busy week out there. Um, uh, we did our... Uh, we have a, a tradition, our family has a tradition of getting a Christmas tree every year. So uh, this, this year we usually team up with Greg Miller and Brian Chambers. He's got the, the truck that we throw the trees in. And Well, we, we went looking for a Christmas tree and um, our normal location out by, oh, somewhere in the foothills there, Pine Junction or something like that. But um, unfortunately, it seemed like the pickings were a little slim this year. I think... Dawn on us if we go back to the same spot every year and we're picking the good trees. It's probably not enough time for them to grow back for the next year or something like that. But uh, it was it was kind of scarce out there, and so I was afraid the tree I got it looked a little Charlie Brownish, you know. I mean it was kind of a little bit scraggly, and um, but I thought when I brought it home to my wife she'd be like, no, it's okay, it's that's a great tree. You're such a great tree hunter, husband, and. She didn't. She didn't say that. We went out the next day and we bought an artificial tree. So we are in the uh, artificial tree business. So we do still have a tree in our backyard. It's got its tags on it. If you'd like a Christmas tree, you could work with sculpting this one. But um, anyways, uh, we'll we'll try again. I think we're going to take it year by year. But now at least we know we have an artificial one to fall back on. I think uh, Brian and Greg got better trees than we did this year. So that's all right. Not that it's a competition. But you should see this artificial tree. It's pretty awesome. Um, but no, anyway. So anyways, well, we're going to take a look this morning at another story. Uh, I think last week Brad covered um, Isaac and Rebecca. And so this, this week in the Crazy Love series, we're going to take a look at a love story between Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Bilhah and Zilpah. We're going to... Um, going to take a look at a crazy love and you know it's not going to be crazy love because of all that big mess there we'll explain a little about that but there's some things in in Jacob and Rachel's story that I think would be by many considered crazy love in this day and age that we live in but uh, we'll start we're going to start in chapter 29 so if you have a house bible um, it would be page 28 maybe you're already there page 28 chapter 29 of Genesis and this kind of jumps into the story that's going on here. Um, the previous chapter kind of talks a little bit about Jacob and his family and his brother. Um, and it kind of just shares a little bit about his parents. Uh, Jacob's parents wanted him to, to 
to marry uh, from a certain type of people and it wasn't the local people that they were a part of and because they had different gods and different customs than God wanted them to have and so they wanted him to go back to, to his people and um, so he took a journey to do that. You know, his brother heard his parents' request and instead of honoring them, he went and married more of the same type of women that uh, they had asked him not to marry. And so, but we're going to see his journey of finding finding Rachel and his love for her and look at things that we might be able to learn. Each one of us, whether you're single or whether you're married um, or not, but there's things that we're going to learn about love, uh, true love. Um, no, we won't try not to quote from that. But... Um, not a very good source, the old Princess Bride. Um, but anyways, uh, so we'll start chapter 29 here. What we're going to do is just read uh, you know, a section together. We'll look at some points. We'll keep moving on from there. Um, we'll see how far we get before we have to shut things down. So, um, But we're going to read this first section here. Um, it just talks about Jacob arrives. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> So then Jacob continued on his journey, and he came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field, with three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone over, over its place, um, to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. And Jacob asked, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high, and it's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the, until the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Um, there's probably something cool going on there. Um, if you read into that, a shepherdess. Um, anyways, we'll keep, watching, keep going here. Um, when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, uh, his mother's brother and Laban's sheep he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud he had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah so she ran and told her father as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob his sister's son he hurried to meet him he embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home and there Jacob told him all these things um, then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. So here's where this crazy love story begins. And, um, you know, can you just imagine this scene? Jacob's going on a journey. He's trying to head back to his people, uh, you know, his, his mother's relatives type thing. And back then, as strange as that might sound in our world, it's, you know, it might sound a little like, okay, I'm going back to Arkansas to find my spouse. Um, or West Virginia, or wherever the joke happens to be. There's a few jokes about those places. But that was not going on here. That, in their culture, that was not uh, maybe as strange as that would sound to us, you know. And at the same time, that's not where we're going to get some of these ideas on crazy love either. But, um, but that was what his parents had requested, to go back and take a wife from among their people, and not the people they were living among. And so he returns, and um, he's talking to these shepherds, and it just so happens again, he's on his journey, and he ends up where? 
He ends up right in a, at a well where Laban's flock is being cared for. And then he sees Rachel come up, you know, and she was a shepherdess. You know, you don't hear about too many other shepherdesses in, in the Bible. I don't know. You know anyone, trivia question, any other shepherdesses that you know about? No, me neither. But uh, if you do find one, you can make that a trivia question. Um, but, so she came up and, uh, you know, can you imagine he's, he's talking and he sees this and all of a sudden he realizes, hey, this, this girl here actually qualifies. She's actually qualified to honor my parents with this, you know, who they want me to marry and things like that. And then he, um, he goes over and I imagine this well, it sounds like that they had this big rock over the well because water was probably a valuable thing. They weren't just having it flow over for nothing. Uh, but they had a big rock on it to conserve water. And so he comes there. I wonder if uh, generally it was done by a group of guys. The shepherds come, they kind of move the stone away, maybe flex a few muscles. And But Jacob thought, you know, here's, here's Rachel, I think from a distance or whatever. He thought maybe it was love at first sight. But he goes over there and moves this big stone all by himself. And, you know, then he goes up and he gives her a kiss, you know. It's kind of like... That's a unique way to start a story. The first time you meet someone, you give them a kiss, you know, and then you get married later. But, but as you can see there, that that was, it was a cultural thing we're talking about. Some of these things we've read in these crazy loves, they were cultural things. To sleep at someone's feet, there was a meaning and an understanding in that day and age that will probably not apply. To run up and kiss someone that you think is love at first sight, I encourage you not to try that out uh, in the Regency or on campus or anywhere here. Um, you can try it, but I just warn you, it might not get good results. Um, but anyways, uh, it seemed like it was a greeting, it was a cordial greeting. It was like maybe our modern day handshake or a hug or something like that. Because Laban greeted him the same way. You know, I, I think when they say kiss there, that was not, that was not a bad thing. Um, but but it, one of the things I, I wondered right off the bat was, so do you think Jacob showed up at this well, moved this thing out of the way to, uh, to impress Rachel? Or because he was a servant? What do you think? You think he was trying to show off or he's trying to serve? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. It doesn't say right there. But what we learn as we continue with the story that it seems like Jacob was an overflow of his life. He was familiar with sheep and working with sheep. But uh, he jumped in and the first thing he did when he got to town was start serving. Now, now some would make the case maybe he was just trying to impress Rachel. Um, but, but it's a good question, you know. But we can look at our own lives and go, how are you doing in this area? Um, are you serving to impress? Are you serving when others are watching you? Or are you serving because you're a servant? And we just want to make sure we keep a, the bar high there. Um, sometimes you can ask, well, I serve a little, I serve a lot. That's not really the question. The question is, are you a servant? Because a servant just shows up at any time they have the opportunity to serve, they do. If you're trying to look at it in terms of, did I serve a little there, did I serve a lot, or boy, I sure serve a bunch and I get tired, and if you're a servant, it's just a way of life. Um, but what mindset do you have? As you look at Jacob's life, I think you see that over time he proved to be that he wasn't showing off, but he tended to have a heart to serve. Just maybe a quick heart check on us. How are you doing as a servant? Um, let's keep moving on here. Um, so, after Jacob stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what, tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. Uh, the name of the older was Leah. Uh, and the name of the younger was Rachel. 
Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Rachel, uh, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work, I'll, work for, uh, let's see, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. And we'll, we'll just take a quick pause there. Um, you know, when uh, he worked for a month there, I think in a, in a way that kind of confirms again he worked in a month without being paid. I don't know how many of you would show up at your job for a month without being paid just because you love to serve. Some of you do, that's good. Good example there. Um, some of you probably wouldn't. Um, but Jacob did. He served for a month without pay. Maybe again, maybe it's because he really wanted to impress Rachel. Who knows? But when he goes up and they, they, you know, it kind of becomes apparent that there's Leah and there's Rachel. And he, in a short period of time, seemed to have fallen in love with Rachel. And I think it's interesting the descriptions here. It talks about Leah. It talks about Rachel. Um, it says Leah had weak eyes. In the footnote there you might see maybe that means delicate. I know the Living Bible translates that as she had lovely eyes. And Rachel had lovely shape and was beautiful as well. And so... Um, one of the things I just wanted to draw out here, for some reason, God had it recorded that Rachel was lovely in form. I think the, the NAS, put the, or the literal translation, is she was lovely in form and in faith. Um, you know, it's not talking about just the inner beauty, which we know a lot about in the New Testament there, but the, she was lovely in form. She was attractive. She was in shape. And, you know, and she was lovely in faith. You know, and I think one of the points I just want to draw out on this for us is... Um, you think about yourself, you know, and you think about, am I lovely in form and I lovely in faith? The way I think about it or thought about it as reading this is pretty much all of us, we, we have the faith that we have, right? Um, there's no way we're going to change it. So whether we're lovely in faith or not, who, this is a faith we're stuck with, you know, for, for a while, right? Um, but to be lovely in form is something we can actually affect. You know, I think Rachel was a shepherdess. It, I, I think it's pretty sure that she worked out in the fields with the sheep. She was maybe considered tomboyish. She was in shape, and, um, and her face was evidently attractive as well. But, and Leah had said, well, maybe she had weak eyes. Maybe she had lovely eyes. I don't know, but it talks about her eyes. But it talks about Rachel being in shape. And the, the quick point I wanted to make on that is just, how's that going in your world? You know, it's easy to, I think there's a, something we can overlook. Some reason the Bible mentions Rachel was in great shape. And she was pretty too or whatever. Um, it doesn't mention that about Leah or not, we don't know that. But there's no command here that says, hey, find someone who's in shape and marry them. You know, it doesn't say that at all. But we do know the New Testament have some thoughts on whether we're in shape or not. Really, a point you could write down is um, simply, are you honoring God with your body? Honor God with your body. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's eating right, eating healthy. Maybe it's sleeping the right amount. But are you honoring God with your body right now? Uh, you know, I think Rachel was. I think she was a stand in shape. But the first um, verse I want to show you is, uh, or you can write down, is First Timothy 4.8. Some of you might know this verse, some of you might not, but really just want to make sure we're not in error on this. There's, there's two errors I think we can make here, but First um, Timothy 4.8, and we could even start a little bit before that, but it says, train yourself to be godly. And then it goes on to say, the physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present, uh, both for the present life and the life to come. 
But it's saying that this physical training has some value. Physical exercise has value. Now, you know, I've got a question for you. Do, you. do you buy into that? Do you believe that? Physical exercise is a good thing. It says right here, it is. It has some value. Um, sometimes we can have this dichotomy where we go, well, there's the physical world, and, you know, we know that's short-lived, and there's a few years here, and we're out of here. But the spiritual world, I put all my stock in that world. Well, here's a verse that says, hey, have some exercise. It's a good thing. It is of value. Sometimes we can go, well, it's of no value. We can let our bodies, we cannot honor God with our bodies. You know, other, other place in Corinthians, it just says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you being a good steward of your body? Just got a question. You know your world. Are you taking care of it? Whether it's exercise or eating right or sleep that you need. Because that's something God wants you to do. You know, there are certain things we're stewards of, your time, your money, but you only get in one body in this life. And depending on how well you take care of that, it might affect how long you, you actually live in this life. I remember a story, one of the first biographies of a, a godly person I ever read was that of David Brainerd. And he was this missionary to the Native Americans back in the, you know, the colonial days. And he was going out and he would try to preach to these people and he'd try to find someone to interpret and he would ride his horse through the rain and all this weather. And he was an extremely godly man. And he died by the age of 30 because he pushed himself so hard. You know, and there's a quote in there, something about the idea that as his body was, if it was like a horse or something, at last, he, you know, he said, at last, I, I've drove my body, I've driven my horse to the ground. And he died, you know, at a very young age. And he was a godly person, but he might have lived longer had he taken care of himself. But anyway, that's, you know, you might think that's a strange point, and, and maybe it is, but, uh, but it's physical, physical exercise, taking care of your body, honor God with your body. But the other part of that point is, you know, honor God with your body, but honor God even more with your godliness. You know, uh, you are to take care of your body, but there's something here, this passage says, actually, it's not a, it's not a one or the other or, or both, but it says, honor God with your body. You know, sometimes I do um, uh, gestures up here. I don't know if you know when, when we're teaching. I like, sometimes I see, see things as black and white. You know, on one side I go, on this side there's this, and on this side there's this. You know, that's one of my few gestures. Everyone's got some different gestures. I think i got some hand motions. I think Brad's got this one as well. I think that's his. Uh, uh, Jeff will try to figure out his motions there. He's got, you know, I don't know. He, uh, that's what he just said there. John Meyer, if you ever watch John Meyer in Fort Collins, he's got this thing where he kind of does this on his toes. He kind of just does this. And... But my gestures, I know I have one side and the other. I'm going to give you a new gesture today. I'm going to get outside the box here. And I'm going to go to this side. Physical training is of some good. Take care of your body. It's a good thing. And godliness is even more important. Instead of one side or the other, I'm taking two steps to this side. Godliness is even more important. You know, maybe you take care of your body. Colorado, as a matter of fact, is not lacking people who think it's good to be fit. Colorado's not lacking that. Other states might be, you're in a state where that's not, that's not an uncommon thought. What's uncommon is it's even more important, it's even better to be spiritually fit. Sometimes when someone's fit, they can look around at others and judge them for, well, they're not as fit or they're not eating the right things or whatever. New Testament has cults that kind of came up because they said, well, this is important to eat this and not eat that. You know, it's good to take care of your body and it's even better to be godly with your life and the life that you live and your body. You know, so be fit. Honor God with your body and honor God even more with your godliness. 
you know, how are you doing? You know, maybe you think I'm doing my exercises each week and things like that, but maybe spiritually you're getting flabby. Maybe uh, sometimes fit people can really judge those that are obese and they look down on them. Oh, if they would eat right, if they'd exercise. You know, what if you realize that you might be physically fit, but spiritually you're obese. You're not exercising. You're not obeying God's word. You're not stretching your faith out. You're not eating the nutrients that you need to be spiritually fit. And I just want to make sure we're doing both. Honor God with your body and even more, honor God with your godliness. Uh, you look at Rachel and Leah. One of the things I've noticed that kind of seems like it's a classic story. Rachel, Leah, uh, Isaac, Rebecca, Boaz, Ruth. Each one of them is kind of like, oh, they were such godly, amazing people. That's why they made these stories. But as I look at Rachel's life, you know what? Rachel might have been in great shape. But you look at the rest of her life, doesn't mention much about her relationship with God at all. Others did not seem to be blessed because of her relationship with God. Boaz, we see he blessed others. Ruth, we see she blessed others. Rachel says she was in great shape and she complained a lot. And, you know, she went to her husband, you know, she went to Jacob one time. Why am I not having kids? Help me have kids. Well, Jacob's not the answer to that. God is. And in Leah's life, we look at her and she often, God was a part of her naming of her children. God was a part of her relation, her conversation. Um, and so I just think it's interesting to see that though Rachel was in shape, she gets mentioned that way, um, Leah was shown as being godly. As a matter of fact, what, what lineage did, uh, did Moses come through? He came through Leah, her son Levi, and Moses was born from the Levites. Now we know that Rachel had Joseph, but which family line did the Christ come through? Which line did Jesus come through? Line of Judah, who was a child of Leah. Leah on one side, Rachel on the other. Um, no, um, but the point is, that it seems like Leah had a, a relationship with God that was closer, that was maybe more intimate than that of which Rachel had. Rachel was in great shape. We just need to do both. Keep honor God with your body. Live as long as you can in this life. But make a dent on eternity. You know, you're going to leave your body in behind. Even if it's in great shape and your biceps are toned when you die, it's staying here. You're not taking it to heaven. But there'll be things in heaven as an overflow of your godliness, your godly choices, your godly living. Let's just keep that in mind there. Um, anyways, we'll move on here. Um, I'm doing time is okay. This next section here is where it starts to get a little more saucy, uh, a little more heated. I know I've said that in other stories, but this one really makes you just kind of want to unbutton your top button a little bit to let the air in here. Um, so we'll start at verse 20 here, and we'll, we'll read for a little bit. Um, let's see. So Laban said, it, well, 19, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. (laughs) Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. We're going to stop there. That's enough to last us for a little while. Um, So anyways, he makes his deal. Hey, look, I'm going to work for the right to earn your daughter's hand in marriage here. And he, he sets the terms. If you think about it, he could have said, here's the deal. Laban, I'll work for seven months, and doggone it, I deserve a wife after that, right? But he picked a time period of seven years to wait to marry this woman. That's a, wow, I don't know. If he had that to do over again, maybe he wouldn't have picked seven years. 
But he waited seven years. And, and it's not like he just waited around for seven years. It said he worked for seven years. He labored for seven years to earn the right to marry this woman. Now, that's a lot of patience. Would you say that's a lot of patience? How about you? Uh, you're single. This, you know, and maybe this could be true if you're married. Think about your spouse. But if, if you'd approach your spouse's parents or the one you want to marry and they said, sure, you can marry him. Here's the deal. I just want you to work for me for seven years and they're all yours. Would that affect things in your life? People who are already married, what if you had to go back and approach in your your father-in-law or your in-laws and they said here sure that's a great idea why don't you just work for seven years um, show me that you can take financial responsibility show me you know your character in seven years it's a done deal how many of you would do that? I think about Greg and Amy here if Amy's parents if Dale had told you Greg Greg it's a great idea how about you work for me for seven years and then it can happen what, what would you do? Greg says, no problem, I would do that. Okay. And if you're married and they rewind the clock and they ask you, would you have done that for your wife, waited seven years? We'd all say, yes, we would have waited. How many of you had to wait seven years? No one. So it's easy for us to say that. But you see, Jacob not only talks the talk, he walks the walk. He waited seven years. One of the descriptions of love, we know from 1 Corinthians 13, is that love is love is patient. If you love someone, by God's definition, love is patient. Another word that he uses more literally is love is long-suffering. Love is long-suffering. You love someone, really? You're willing to be patient? You're willing to suffer a little? You love someone, really, by God's definition? Love is patient. Love is long-suffering. He waited seven years to marry his woman. That's some serious patience. Now, by today's standards... If anyone waited seven years, what would they call you? Crazy. That's crazy. Are you serious? Seven years to wait? I I could find something sooner, quicker, faster, better. I could get on the internet. There's eHarmony. There's Yahoo Singles, Craigslist Singles, whatever. Seven years? Are you serious? That would be crazy. And if that's the case, if they would call that crazy, well then Jacob had a crazy love for Rachel. A love that was willing to be patient. A lot of days I think there's confusion on the definition of love. I think the word lust, kind of people uh, try to somehow make those one and the same word. I love someone, I'm in love, and really it's just lust. But the thing is with lust, if you throw a little time at it, if some guy's lusting after another woman and the dad says, sure, let's just wait seven years. You find out real quick if that's lust and it's just going to burn off like in a week or if it's real love and he labors and works hard for seven years to prove his character and his worth. Uh, But this world, we live in a sex-crazed world and they're trying to redefine what love should look like, what what marriage should look like, things like that. But we've got to just remember that God invented marriage. God's given us the definition of love and love is patient. Love is long-suffering. Are you... Now, this doesn't even just have to be romantic. God calls us to love one another. Are you patient and long-suffering with other believers? Are you patient? You say, we say we love God. Okay, are we patient and long-suffering in our relationship with God? Or do we want Him to do things now? Change my circumstances now. If you love God, you know, if it's true love, it would be patient and long-suffering. 
Maybe you're in marriage now. You know, it's easy to go, oh, I love that person I'm going to marry. After you get married, well, you're still called. Husbands, you're called to love your wife. What does that mean? It might be a little long-suffering involved in that. Wives, loving your husbands, it might not be as easy as it was before you got married. All these natural Twitter-pated feelings, you're still called to love in a way that suffers much and is kind. Another translation says, but, um, but Jacob had this kind of love, and we need to make sure we do. We have love for one another. We have a love for God. That's what God wants in our relationships. And one thing you can know, maybe draw a little comfort from, is whether you have that kind of love or not, God has that kind of love for you. God is so patient with you and me. God is so long-suffering. You know, I just think about if God had gotten impatient with me, I look back on my life. I was just telling someone some of my story uh, on campus earlier this week. And we were talking about he lived in El Paso and I lived in Las Cruces and we used to make it down across the border. And I used to party across the border because, you know, he reminded me they had this thing called drink and drown. And for five bucks you could drink and stumble into the river and drown. Um, the Rio Grande, I don't know. If you had five bucks, you could drink as much as you wanted in a bar. That was like a serious deal back in the days there, drinking around for five bucks. But I went down there a number of times, and sometimes I'm not exactly sure how I made it back. Sometimes I think I was driving, and I don't know how I made it back. But one thing I do know that God was patient with me. At any time, He could have said, Rich, this is enough. I've had it with you. Let's, let's bring you home. But He was patient, long-suffering. No one suffered more for, for you than Christ. Christ took every punishment you deserve, every act of judgment, punishment, discipline for your sins, for everything you're guilty of, He took that for you. He suffered that for you because He loves you. Um, that's the kind of love God has for us. And He wants to have that, us to have that for one another, for our roommates, for our spouses, for Him. But anyways, Jacob did have that kind of love. And that was a crazy kind of love. And we'll keep, keep, walking, or keep working on down here. Um, so he says again, verse 21, Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. You can read into that. There's some other versions that get a little more explicit on what that means there. Um, it goes on to say, So Laban brought together all the people of, that, of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave a servant girl, Zilpah, to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And so I want to take a quick time out there. Can you imagine that? You work seven long, hard years in, in the fields of Laban to, to earn your wife. And next thing you know, you know, uh, I guess in the tradition and custom of it all, it, it could have happened while things were dark and they tended to veil people and stuff like that. But imagine you woke up the next morning with someone you loved, or you thought you loved and wanted to marry, and you look at it and you go, it's not them. How would you feel about that? Not too good. Um, I imagine it being a little bit like the surprise of, uh, I was thinking of the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, where uh, Steve Martin and, uh, was it, John Candy wake up, and he's like, where's your other hand? Oh, it's between two pillows, and those aren't pillows. Ah! You know, it's kind of a... But imagine, that's probably what Jacob felt like the next morning. He wakes up and he goes, Ah! You know, the woman I love is not who I was with last night. That would have been a, that would have been a bum deal. Um, and, you know, in some ways, many think that Jacob's name, it means, it means deceiver. It means cheater. 
Jacob had planted seeds in his lives of being kind of manipulative, kind of cheating, kind of tricky. And you know what? The deceiver got caught up with and he got deceived. And, and you just have to remember that God will not be mocked. When you sow seeds, uh, you'll reap them again. If you're a manipulator, it seems to work out on the front end. On the back side of that, you might find yourself not as happy as, as you were seemingly getting your way on the front side of that. Um, but his name, you know, his name means cheater. I have a brother-in-law, his name's Jacob. And so he says, no, it doesn't mean cheater, it means supplanter. Supplanter, I don't know what that means. I know what cheater means, Jacob. <laughs> supplanter somehow sounds like a nicer word. I don't know, just because I don't know what it means. But, um, but anyways, it caught up with him. But in the context of that, you know, this is, um, so Jacob ended up marrying Leah. And they went on to marry Rachel, who he actually wanted to marry in the first place. Through the course of time, he also married Zilpah and Bilhah, um, which are strange names for girls. But, um, you know, that's another thing. Um, but, you know, in the Bible, we see times where people had multiple wives. Abraham had a Sarah, and he also had Hagar as a wife. And the crazy love we're talking about here is not polygamy. You know, hey, let's promote crazy love. Uh, they had multiple wives. You know, that just sounds like a really bad idea to me. You know, if you know anything about marriage and, you know, some of the struggles and challenges and to try to add multiple variables to that just sounds like a really bad idea. But more than that, God never said to do that. God didn't say, oh yeah, you know, hey, by the way, you know, a lot of people's heavens, you read their holy books and their holy writings, they talk about heaven and it includes 40 virgins or 70 virgins or all these things. You know, God never talks about that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the first example of marriage that he gave us was one man and one woman. And somehow, you know, I think maybe these patriarchs pleaded ignorance. Maybe they just didn't know, they didn't think about it, they didn't. But uh, Jesus went on to kind of set the record straight, as he did on a lot of things. And they were asking about marriage and divorce. And he said, by the way, kind of like uh, God intended at the beginning, you know, I think it's uh, Mark, Mark 5 here, it just says, um, they're asking about things, but... He says, at the beginning, Mark, Mark 10, 6, it says, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So Jesus kind of set the record straight. Marriage was intended to be between one man and one woman. You know, he could have said man and wives he could have said let the three become one or something like that but he says it's one man and one woman and he never he never encouraged someone to take multiple wives a lot of times when you see it happening it was in this case through deception in other cases they're like I'm supposed to have this huge family you know Abraham was like maybe it's going to be through Hagar instead of through Sarah and his lack of faith there but never did God encourage that so just for the record you know, polygamy is just a bad idea, okay? Uh, that's not the crazy love we're talking about here. Um, let's go on here. We might just finish with this last point here. Um, uh, so, you know, Laban tries to explain himself. Laban replied, It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and, then, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked seven, and he worked for Laban another seven years. 
So one of the points that I just want to draw out here is, I mean, I just can't imagine that. You think you're signing up for seven years of hard work to get married and it ends up being 14 years. Now I think by God's grace he didn't have to wait that long to actually, you know, it says here, after that week. So it was like, I don't know, seven years and seven days. But eventually he got to sleep with his wife Rachel who he'd been wanting to the whole time. So again, one of the things that stands out to me here, and in some ways, you know, we might see it as a cultural thing, but in some ways it's more than that. But So Jacob wanted to have a relationship with this woman for seven years. And he didn't get married to her for seven years and seven days. But you know what, what stands out here as well? He never, he never slept with her. He never had sexual relations with this woman for seven years. Until what? Until he was married to her. You know, so one of the points I want to give you here is just we need to have, uh, well, there's different ways to say it here, but true love waits. True love waits until marriage to have sex. Now, you, you talk to people in this world and they just say, that is absolutely absurd. You need to do a test run. You need to have a trial run. You need to have practice so you can be good at sex and marriage. And all of that is just a bunch of crap. The world's crap. And I... Sorry if there's kids in here. That's, uh, maybe I'll just say that's a farm word that I used to use a lot on the farm. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm. But you know, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of junk there that the world says. There's all these lies. And unfortunately, I think we, we hear them every day on, in the media, you know, on TV and movies. Um, you know, whatever it is, they just kind of this idea that I've told my wife, I notice it more and more. It's kind of like marriage gets this rap of, it's prison, you know. Boy, the freedom, the true life is, don't go to prison. Don't pick one and stay faithful to that one the rest of your life. You know, that's a bad deal. Keep your options open. Um, not only that, if you, you know, I think there's a, a lie that's going on out there as well. It's kind of like if men and women are trying to figure out, well, do they love me or do they not? And sometimes I think a guy kind of goes, well, well I, I love you. And the girl says, well, I love you too. And the guy kind of says, well, prove it. Give me some of the benefits of love. And we'll see if you really love me. And sometimes the women do. And, you know, before you know it, that's almost a formula for them never to get married. You know, that... Uh, and I think we live in a world where the guys want the benefits before they get the commitment. You know, and in some ways, I think uh, there's a song that you might know that kind of hits on this a little bit. And she's by no way an example of this. But anyone, the Beyonce song, I think it's All the Single Ladies is Right. And she kind of says, if you want it, put a ring on it or something like that. What's the line? I can't believe you know that song. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> We had a church in Omaha that they had all the guys learned the lyrics and the dance moves to the video. And so there was like 50, 75 guys all doing these moves and kind of did the Beyonce dance to the girls in their church. You know, it was kind of a, kind of a sweet thing. But, um, but just for the record, you'll never find Beyonce's story in the Bible. Some people might see her as a hero and a da-da-da. Beyonce is not doing things God's way. She's not getting a different result. That's not the kind of crazy love. Only thing I'm saying is that she kind of has the idea right that, man, if you want the benefits, put a ring on her finger. You know, that's the way God designed it. Women, if you think you're going to keep a guy around because you open yourself to sexual interactions before marriage, almost a guarantee of that will not happen. A lot of times in this day and age, it's like... Guys do a trial run here and there and then they get bored and they move on to the next thing that they haven't 
explored, something that's a mystery to them still, and, they, and it's just wreckage out there, serious wreckage in this world. Um, but true love, you know, I'd say true love waits until marriage to have sex, but true love honors marriage. You know, for me, it took me a while to understand some of God's thoughts about marriage and love and sexual relations. And over time, you know, I kind of had the view when I was going through college, well, you know, you decide. Pick your own beliefs about the matter, you know. I was of the opinion, well, if you say you love someone, then, you know, that's the thing. If you say you love them, then, you know, sexual activity is probably okay because at least you said you love them. And uh, over time, I realized that's probably not a good idea to have that philosophy. So I adopted the philosophy, well... Maybe you should never tell someone you love them if you don't really love them. You know, that kind of seems like it's... But eventually I came to understand God's thoughts about sex. And you know, um, I love to ask people this question, and you know, I'm amazed at how many people have the wrong answer on this, but here, here's the question. Do you think that you are free to express yourself sexually any way you want? I asked a guy this on campus, said, do you think you have the freedom to express yourself sexually any way you want? And he said, yes, I do. And so I started listing some examples of how that might not work. I said, so if you love a child, um, you think you have the freedom to express yourself sexually? Well, well you know. Uh, so if you love a sibling or a parent, you think that you have the freedom to express yourself sexually? Well, uh, uh, and he just started backtreading on it. Well, maybe it's not a good idea. Well, you know what God says? There's only one place where you have the freedom to express yourself sexually. One place. That's marriage. After marriage, after you get married. Now this world would say, a true love that waits, but that's crazy. You're just crazy. That's old-fashioned. That's old-school. That's like Old Testament or something. But, you know, the New Testament, we're just going to read that passage again. It's a classic one here, but we need to know it. In this sex-crazed world where marriage is getting um, just torn apart, it says, um, it says this in Hebrews 13:4. It just says, and it's a classic one on marriage, but it says, marriage should be honored by all. The marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God wants marriage to be honored. He says, this is the one place where I've designed that you can express your love sexually. One place between a man and a woman. And there's ways to break that. You know, it lists words here. Um, uh, Where's the words? It lists words. Well, it says sexually immoral. You know, a, a more literal translation. Older ones say there's... God will judge the adulterer and the fornicator. You know, there's two ways to dishonor marriage. One is you're not married and yet you want to express yourself sexually. It's called fornication. God will judge that. The other is if you are married and you want to have sex outside your marriage, that's called adultery. And there's yet another way the Bible talks about in Romans 1 that's where it's not even a man and a woman having sex. Uh, it's a man with a man or a woman with a woman and it calls that perversion. And God will judge that as well. But those are ways that people, they, well, you know, if I love someone, I can express my love this way. You know, God says, no, if you love someone of the opposite sex, you marry them, and then you can express your love that way. I just think about Jesus. You know, he, he lives arguably the most full life anyone has ever lived on this planet. And you know what? He never expressed himself sexually. He had a love that was true and real, but he never expressed it sexually. Would you say he led a shallow life? What about the Apostle Paul? He, he also did not express himself sexually yet. He loved. He was an example of love to us throughout the scriptures, throughout his life. 
But he never expressed it sexually. Someone thinks, you know, oh, if I have the desire and I don't get to express it, God's just, uh, you know, a stick in the mud. He's not letting me have the fun that I desire to have. Well, there's one way you get to express love sexually, and that's when you're married. Anything else, God will judge. And besides that he judge it, there's so many ways it's getting judged here and now. He'll also judge it later. But, you know, it leads to things like uh, rape. It leads to things like molestation. It leads to things like children who get aborted because they were not created in an environment of a loving relationship. And people say, this is not going to be convenient. I'm going to take their life. It leads to people who are in broken situations, single moms who say, I'm going to keep this child and I'm going to have to work two, three jobs just to be able to finance it. It leads to STDs, sexually transmitted disease. Guess what? If you're not sexually active with anyone else but the one you marry who is not sexually active with anyone else, you don't get STDs of any sort. Interesting that it works that way. But we need to be men and women that honor God with, with marriage. We honor marriage. Things that are designed to occur only in marriage, we need to keep them there. You know, likewise, if you're in marriage and you're married and things get hard, guess what? You know, Jesus said... God has joined you together. Don't let anyone separate that. God has brought you together. Don't look outside your marriage for something. Yeah, it may be hard. Love is long-suffering. Um, and so, again, I, I just think that Jacob waited seven years, not only just to marry her, he waited seven years to have a sexual relationship with the woman he loved. And that should be an example to us all. We have to realize that that, that truth is under attack in this world. One, you need to understand, where does that come from? God's design for marriage is the heart of it. And, you know, it also says lust is evil, and and lust is like adultery and things like that. There's other ramifications related to that, but one of the biggest things we need to know is that God wants marriage to be honored. Um, And, you know, I'm going to have to wrap it up here. Um, Let's see. You know, the only other thing that... um, we could say about this is just Jacob went on to work that seven years for Rachel. After that, he went on to work for Laban another six years. Um, and Laban was constantly deceiving and changing his wages and doing things for him. But it wasn't until it's chapter 31, but you can read this on your own maybe. But um, Jacob finally hears from God. He stuck this out. You know, it says, Love. Love is patient, um, but another definition of love, the last one uh, you'll find in First Corinthians is love perseveres. And Jacob persevered for um, 20 years in hard situations, in situations that were not fair, in situations where he was getting cheated, and he persevered for 20 years. Um, and then God changed his situation, and he took him out of it. And we just need to know that, um, and you know, he knew God was with him. That's why he could persevere, because he knew... God was with him, persevering through it all. Sometimes we want God to change our circumstances. God changed this, let me out of this. I imagine he did. A number of us would have probably jumped after seven years and go, hey, i got seven years here, I'm taking my wife, I'm out of here. He stuck it out, he persevered, you know. And God did change his circumstances. But first, I think God wanted to change him. He wanted to change Jacob. And then he changed his circumstances. You might find yourself in some hard circumstances of long-suffering or require perseverance or patience and, you know, you need to know that God is with you. God's persevering with you. He's, um, he wants to help you through it. And when it's time, He can make it clear when He'll let you out of that. Jacob, He told him, Jacob, it's time. 
Jacob didn't go looking for, oh, I want out of this trial. I think I've got it done. God told him, you're done. You can move on now. Um, and we need to just remember God brought some glorious things out of that. In the midst of all those challenges and being deceived and stuff like that, God really blessed Jacob. He increased his wealth. He increased his flocks. He increased his family. And Jacob left that situation a blessed man. Even though those circumstances were, were hard, they were unfair, God really blessed Jacob for persevering. And God wants to bless us in persevering as well. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this example that you've given us. Lord, you say that these examples in the Old Testament are, are for our encouragement um, and just you know, encourage our, our hope and our faith. And God, we just thank you. I thank you that for Jacob's example of a love that was patient, that was long-suffering, a love that was pure, sexually pure. Thank you for a love that persevered. God, I thank you that um, you have that kind of love for all of us. Lord, you're so patient with us. You're, you persevere with us through hard things. But I pray that any situations we find ourselves in, that you would be um, making it known to us that you're with us. God, I pray that you'd be changing us, and then in your time you'd change circumstances. But, Lord, we just tell you we love you. Help us to have this crazy love for one another, for our fellow disciples, for our spouses, for our spouses-to-be. Help us to have this sort of crazy love for you. We thank you that you do have that for us. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining. We'll we'll finish up this crazy love series next Sunday. We're going to look at um, Hosea and Gomer, the the prophet and the prostitute, and and then we'll get on with some more Christmas things after that. Maybe somehow we'll transition to Christmas from that fun story. But thanks a lot, and uh, we'll catch you next Sunday.